0: Felt overwhelmed by those who question Christianity? You may know the frustration that can come upon us when we're not able to answer tough questions unbelievers ask about God and the Christian faith. You know what you believe, but you're not able to explain it clearly or defend it. Join us today as I interview Dr. Ron Rhodes, author of Answering the Objectives of Atheist, Agnostics, and Skeptics. Stay tuned. You won't want to miss today's program. This is Kay Meyer, president of Family Shield Ministries and your host for today's program. Thank you so much, Reverend, I mean, uh, Dr. Rhodes for joining me today.
1: It's my pleasure to be with you. Thank you.
0: All right, very good. You are a reverend too. I, I usually call you Doctor Ron Rhodes. You but know, I you're... remember when
1: I got ordained. It, it was uh, <laughs> Doctor Jade White Pentecost that was um, uh, partially in charge of the ceremony, and then Doctor Harold Honer, a Cambridge scholar, who put me through the ordination exam. And so that was really fun. (laughs) Uh,
0: (laughs) I bet. Well, like I said, I usually call you Dr. Ron Rhodes, but uh, I know that uh, you do wonderful things. You've written so many great books, and this one is just awesome. I have, in the last few weeks, had several people calling me asking, how do I respond to a loved one that now tells me they're an agnostic or an atheist. And I thought of your book, I understand it's now out of print, but Answering the Objections of Atheist, Agnostics, and Skeptics. What a great book. And uh, thank you so much for writing it and for all of the information you share. You know, at the beginning of this book, Dr. Rhodes, you mentioned some back problems you had some years ago and how God used you to share your faith with someone. Tell that story to our listeners.
1: Well, you know, it was uh, something that happens to so many people, and, you know, I just had a a little accident where I hurt my back, and my wife Carrie happened to be out of town at the time, and so she wasn't there to help me. And uh, our church took care of me until she could get back, and uh, bottom line is I had to have some therapy, physical therapy. And uh, nobody likes to go through physical therapy, but as it turns out, I had an atheist therapist, and uh, this guy had just read Lee Strobel's book, The Case for Christ. Mm. And, you know, Lee Strobel's a friend of mine, and I called him and talked to him about it, and the atheist basically said that even though the book was very good, it wasn't quite enough to make him want to believe in God. And uh, my back-suffering turned out to be a kingdom assignment. And what I mean by that is that I think that God strategically set things up to move me so that I would be in a position to share with this person for like 12 weeks in a row hmm. and you know it was amazing because we would talk about different evidences and, and different concerns that this person had and uh, you know objections to the faith like the problem of evil that, that would be one example uh-huh. and uh, as it turned out this person uh, ended up uh, uh, repenting and, and changing uh, his mind hmm. about all of this And, uh, you know, I I never would have planned it this way myself, but God's ways are not our ways. God has a, a really unique way of accomplishing His purposes in the world, and in this case, He used my pain, my back suffering, to bring me into therapy with an atheist in order to bring something good out of it.
0: Yeah, and I know in that a little article, you, you said to him, look how much God loves you. <laughs> and uh, that, that's just so amazing. that and, and, it, and God does do those kind of things, as you called it, a kingdom assignment. You went th- through some pain uh, well, related to this, though, didn't you?
1: I, I did, and it, it was not an easy thing. And I know that those people who um, have had this kind of an injury know what I'm talking about. But yeah, I had a smile on my face, and I said, God must care a lot about you. Why else would he have gone to such drastic measures to arrange 12 meetings mm. between us? You
0: know? <laughs> awesome, awesome. It is a great way to start that book. Well, as we begin, let's just quickly define terms. Uh, what is an atheist?
1: Well, an atheist is a person that does not believe in God or any deity. It's actually a, um, a compound word from two Greek words. Theos, of course, means God. But the a prefix before the word theos means without or no. And so atheism says there's no God. It's a person that does not believe in any deity at all.
0: Okay. okay, And uh, you also have agnostics or ag- agnosticism. What That's is that?
1: Right, That's another compound word that literally means without knowledge. And so agnosticism refers to the idea that we have no knowledge of God or we are without knowledge of God. Uh, An agnostic is a person who claims he is unsure or has no knowledge about the existence of God. And I have to say that I've noticed in my own conversations with people, Kay, that there's a growing number of agnostics Mm -hmm. out there. Mm -hmm. They don't go so far as to say they're an atheist, but they will say that they are just unsure as to whether or not there's a deity.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's right. And last, skeptic. What's a skeptic?
1: Well, there's a lot of skeptics out there. Yes, too. there are. Uh, this comes from a Latin term that means inquiring or doubting, and so the Latin word actually comes from a Greek word. It's kind of funny how you can tra- you can kind of look at the different languages and all this, but the ultimate root has the idea of hesitation or doubt, and so a skeptic is a person who is tentative in his or her beliefs, neither denying nor affirming God's existence, and he or she is hesitant, doubtful, and unsure as to whether there is a God. And so you can see that all three of these are related to each other, Kay. They have different degrees of intensity, but you can see how they're all related.
0: Mm-hmm. They are. They are. And it's important that we become equipped to share our faith in a loving way with all people, Um and uh, can you just talk for a well, minute it, about that? It is that?
1: very important. This is not some kind of uh, irrelevant debate. The fact is is that, uh, you know, if there is no God, there can be no ultimate purpose in life. And so this debate relates to the here and now. If there is no God, man is adrift in a purposeless universe. This life is all there is, and there is no afterlife Whatever meaning exists must be manufactured by human beings today, and in the end, once final, destiny is non-existence. I must also tell you, Kay, that if there is no God, then there is no accountability before God, which means that you and I can live in any way that we want to. Mm-hmm. If there is no God who created us, and we're just the chance product of evolution, then there is no genuine uniqueness for humanity we're no more unique than a hippopotamus uh we're no more unique or important than a barnyard animal and because we're not responsible to a god if god does not exist that means that we don't have to fool around with obeying commandments mm-hmm. and so again this is not some kind of a uh, moot point or irrelevant issue this issue relates to the way people live in the present and in the now
0: Absolutely. And so um, and you've been talking about that some people say God does not exist, and that would be the atheist. I mean, we're kind of talking about several different types of people, and you've given some examples. What else would you say to someone that says God just doesn't exist?
1: Well, I think there's a couple of things that you have to do. Um, I think that, number one, you will have to give a positive presentation for why God does exist. But you also have to answer the objections that they have. Because a lot of people who are atheists or agnostics or skeptics, they have specific reasons as to why that's the case. Uh, in some cases, it may be because something bad happened in that person's family. You know, and how could there be a good mm-hmm. God if something mm-hmm. bad happened? Uh, there's other people that will say, if God exists, then uh, you know, why aren't there more people who believe? I mean, why are there so many atheists? Mm. If there is a God, why are there so many people out there who don't believe? And they think that that's an argument for uh, you know the idea that there is no God. But here's the balancing question, Kay. If there is no God, then why are there so many more people who do believe in mm-hmm. God? Mm-hmm. You know, I think that atheists um, answer that theists, or you and I, would be ignoring the hard facts, but the the reality is... They argue that God is just a human invention. Mm. I'm sure you've heard this. Yes. Atheists often say that it's just a human invention. But let me ask you this. Why would people invent a God whose favor cannot be earned by attempted good deeds, <laughs> and who determines that even the most righteous among us deserve punishment? Why would people invent a God who will, in fact, condemn the most righteous who depend on themselves? And why would people invent a God who holds those who come into a relationship with him to a much higher standard? And why would people invent a God who will put them through a judgment following death? Mm. Does it make sense to you human beings would invent a God like that? (laughs) It it doesn't make sense to me. I I think this idea that humans invented a God, uh, you'd have to have more faith to to believe that. (laughs) than to believe in the true God. Yeah,
0: that's right. And and I guess another issue related to that is that so many people will say, since there is suffering and evil in the world, there can't be a God. How do you respond to that? I hear that a lot.
1: Well, the problem of evil is probably the biggest argument in their arsenal. And what I try to help people to see is that, number one, you really can't define evil unless God exists. Ah, God is the ultimate um, moral compass. I guess I'd put it that way. He is the moral compass that points a moral north. And if God does not exist, you really don't have that kind of a moral compass. And that's an important philosophical issue. Now, I believe that evil is simply a corruption of something good. <laughs> it's true that our earth right now is not good. There's just a lot of human pain and suffering on this earth. But evil is the corruption of something good. God's original creation was good. Do you remember when God looked Mm -hmm. out over the creation? What did he say? He said, It is good. good. It is very, Mm -hmm. very good. But you see, now pain and suffering exists, which means that there's been a corruption of that good. And basically, I'm kind of driving towards the point that there's been a massive termite invasion of human sin Mm -hmm. into Mm -hmm. the universe. And so the earth has been corrupted, and all people on earth have been corrupted. It's kind of like this. Say there's a perfect bridge that goes from one you know, part of land to another part of land, and it takes you right over a river. It's perfect. It works just great. But then, several decades later, you can't walk over that bridge because the, the wood has become corrupt. Mm-hmm. Well, what has good has become corrupted. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Likewise, the parallel is that the earth was created good, but there was a massive termite invasion of sin, so that today there aren't good things. I mean, there's just a lot of pain and suffering. There's a lot more to it than that, Kay, but I mean, Mm -hmm. it's, it's really not an argument against God. In fact, to talk about evil, you have to really assume God's existence.
0: Yeah, and what I was just thinking, how else... We know there is evil in the world. We know we sin. I mean, when we're Christians, even when we're Christians... We know we don't do what we're supposed to do. That's why we need Jesus, right. and it just I, there is no other way to receive forgiveness except through Christ. Do do atheists or agnostics believe something else? Do they believe sin exists, or, or what do they say about that?
1: Well, they believe that we basically um, are a law unto ourselves and we uh, make up our own rules. In fact, they don't think that we have morality because there's an ultimate moral lawgiver. Rather, they believe that human human beings have simply made-up laws as they've gone along. And uh, that's not really something that makes good sense either, when you think about it. Um, The very fact that there can be a moral law apart from a moral lawgiver ultimately is nonsensical. Uh, The idea that you and I have a conscience assumes that there is a god who has written his law Mm -hmm. in the human heart Mm -hmm. now it's true that atheists can make up some of their own rules if they want to but they don't have any ultimate basis for saying that uh... this line of action is moral and this other line of action is immoral Mm -hmm. uh... only the existence of god uh... really helps us to understand that you know only the existence of god gives us a moral compass that points you know north Otherwise, it's kind of like being out at uh, sea in a boat on a cloudy day, and you don't have a compass, and you can't see the stars, and you can't, you know, see a lighthouse. Uh, There's really no way to tell which way is north and which way is south. Mm -hmm. That's ultimately the way it is if, if God does not exist. But since God does exist, God is our moral north. He is the one who sets the standard. Okay,
0: good. I want to make some announcements, and then I'll come back, and we'll continue talking about this important topic each week family shield offers a booklet or resource to our listeners this week we're offering where's god in all of this to receive the complimentary booklet call the response center at 1877317 Four three two six. Don't forget you can sign up to receive the Family Shield email newsletter by going to our homepage at www.familyshieldministries.com. We also have an archive page if you miss one of the programs and want to uh, hear those programs. Uh, you'll learn that on that email newsletter. If you're a Thrivent financial member, you can designate your Thrivent Choice dollars to support Family Shield Ministries. Go to Thrivent website at www.thrivent.com and then slash Thrivant Choice. We'd love to hear from our listeners. Write us and let us know how the program is helping and equipping you and your family. Family Shield Ministries, P.O. Box 230015, St. Louis, Missouri 63123. I want to go back to my guest, Dr. Ron Rhodes. He's written the book, Answering the Objectives, of Atheist, Agnostics, and Skeptics, and we've been talking about uh, just one of those, or a couple of those. Um, What about those that say there's no absolute truth, Dr. Rhodes?
1: Well, that's one of the big things of today. You know, a lot of people say that you can have your truth, and I can have my truth, but there is no absolute truth. And so a lot of people feel that the very idea that I could tell you what's right and wrong is very arrogant. And even in our school systems today, we've got this idea of moral relativism where our own students are being taught that they can come up with their own ideas as to what is right and what is wrong. Uh, I think that there's just a lot of problems with that idea. For example, a lot of people talk about absolute truth but they don't understand what it is. Absolute truth is that which is true for all people at all times in all places. And if certain things are absolutely true, then certain things are also absolutely false. And it's interesting to observe that all of us, including Christians and non-Christians, expect our interactions with other people to be characterized by by truth. I mean, uh, Kay, when you call your bank you're expecting the banker to tell you the truth about your money, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Likewise, if you call your doctor and you've had some tests done, you want the doctor to tell you the absolute truth about your physical condition. And uh, also, if you're driving along in your car and you come to a um, a place where there's a train crossing, you don't want to keep on driving. It's an absolute truth that that train is now occupying that space Mm -hmm. right in front of you. And so there's a lot of things where we believe in absolute truth. But why is it that atheists change things when it comes to religious discussions? You see, they don't want to believe that there's an absolute truth. And I've got to tell you, Kay, that one of the things that I've discovered in talking to atheists is that very often they are motivated to believe in relativism. I say that they are motivated to believe in relativism because uh, it makes their lifestyle more comfortable, There are certain immoralities in some of their lives that are much more comfortable and compatible with this idea that the truth is relative. This idea of absolute truth, however, makes them feel guilt and condemned before God, so they don't like this idea Mm -hmm. of absolute truth. Mm -hmm. So like I said, I think that there's a motivation there for many of these folks.
0: Yeah, that's a big topic, too. Well, um, I'd like to touch on uh, another Thing that people will say the Bible is filled with myths and contradictions. Is that true, and how do you respond when they say something like that?
1: Well, there's a lot of people that uh, will say that there's myths in the Bible, and basically this is an attack against the Bible. One of the ideas here is that things like the Incarnation and the Resurrection is all based upon myths that infiltrated uh, Christianity in its early centuries. And the truth is, is that when you look at the historical evidence, uh, the sources that you find among pagans who uh, write about the, uh, the the resurrection and incarnation generally date two or three centuries after you know Christianity was founded. In other words, a lot of these sources that the atheists cite actually date to the second or third century, far after the New Testament was written. And so the point that I'm making is that Christianity did not borrow from myth, Mm -hmm. but rather paganism actually borrowed from Christianity to create a lot of these myths. And it's kind of understandable when you think about it. After all, Christianity talks about things like the Incarnation and Resurrection. The pagans didn't have doctrines like that. And so a lot of them in the 2nd and 3rd century came up with their own version of these things, so that they could still try to compete with Christianity. So like I said, Christianity did not borrow from myth. Rather, those who wrote myth actually borrowed from Christianity. And uh, that's aside from the fact that we've got all kinds of historical evidence that points to the truth of the Christian Bible.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely, and your book is filled with information we don't have time to address. But I, I think one of the challenges that I think a lot of Atheists and agnostics uh, are dealing with, and our world is dealing with, is the biblical ignorance of so many people, even those that are in the church. Uh, We need to know God's Word because (laughs) it has a lot of information that will help us understand uh, who Jesus Christ is and what He has done for us. And uh, it's just a challenge that the body of Christ is facing today
1: well i think you're absolutely right you know uh, we've got a massive level of biblical ignorance today and i think that one of the reasons for that is that christians just aren't reading the bible today at all and uh, when you look at some of the polls it's pretty amazing you know not only are there a very large percentage of christians that don't read the bible at all but the statistics show that among those christians that do read the bible it's mainly during the sermon on sunday morning Mm -hmm. sometimes that sermon's only 15 or Mm -hmm. 20 minutes long Mm -hmm. And no wonder there are so many biblically illiterate Christians as a result of not reading the Word of God. And then when you add into that mix the fact that uh, the Bible is being attacked today, you know, by people like, uh, oh, I'm thinking about the Jesus Seminar as Mm -hmm. an example, or the very famous Bart Ehrman, who's, who's writing books against the Bible. Uh, the, the fact is is that Christians don't know how to deal with this, Right. and so that's one of the reasons why I wrote this book as well, because I've got all kinds of evidence that supports the veracity of the Bible.
0: Absolutely, and we need to do more to to understand this book, God's book. Uh, it's important. Well, another we're gonna I, I know our time is flying. Another thing that we hear is that. The belief that Jesus is the only way is narrow-minded. Uh, and I want to just read that Jesus himself said this, not just the disciples and others. He said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Talk about that for a minute.
1: You know, some things that are narrow are very good. You know, like when I'm going to California by plane, I want to make sure that pilot lands on the right runway. You know, when (laughs) the surgeon is doing an operation on me, I want to be very, very clear that he's going to remove the right, you know, organ that's bad. If I need to have an operation on my kidney, I don't want him to operate on my foot. You know, uh, that sounds narrow-minded, but that's a good thing. Likewise, I want my wife and I to be faithful to each other for our entire lives. That's narrow-minded, but it's good. Simply because it's narrow doesn't make it bad. You know the the truth is is that even though God is he's got a narrow way of salvation, the truth is is that God's heart is wide open for all people. Mm-hmm. And God's heart is so wide open for all people that he gave that same narrow offer to everybody, everybody. on the planet. Yep. You see, and that that's the offer of salvation in Jesus Christ. And besides, like you said, we're not the ones who are making these claims. Christ himself made these claims. Yes, he did. You and I are just the male deliverers. We didn't write the letter. Mm -hmm. God Mm -hmm. wrote the letter.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Well, um, let's talk for a minute about some of the prophecies about Christ in the Bible, because I find, personally, I think this is so awesome, and it helps me understand why I believe in Christ, because... In the Old Testament, there were prophecies that were were fulfilled in the New Testament, and nobody could have figured this out and worked this out on their own. There were hundreds of years in between. Just share a a few of those.
1: Well, there are many, many prophecies, you know, and and many of these are found in uh, prophets like uh, Isaiah and uh, even back as far as Genesis. We know, for example, that the Messiah had to be born of a virgin, and we see that in Isaiah 7.14 we're told in Zechariah 12.10 that this Messiah would be pierced for our sins and you know crucifixion wasn't even invented yet crucifixion was a a much later invention but the Old Testament uh, prophets prophesied that the Messiah would die by crucifixion Hmm. Uh, we know that he was to be born in Bethlehem in Micah 5.2 we know that he had to come from specific tribes among the Jewish people you know I'm talking about Abraham and David for example we see that in 2 Samuel 7 and, of course, Genesis 12. Bottom line is, is that uh, we've got well over a hundred, and some scholars say several hundred, prophecies that deal with a single Messiah. Now, what are the odds mm-hmm. that all those prophets offering all those prophecies could have their prophecies come literally true in one person? Mm-hmm. It is a staggering thing. And it's one of the most powerful evidences for the fact that the Bible is indeed the Word of God.
0: I I totally agree. I love to share information about that and that it was prophesied in the Old Testament that he would be sold for so many pieces of silver. I mean, details that nobody could have orchestrated that came true in the New Testament. I, I know a lot of times people don't understand this and that it was... These prophecies were written hundreds, if not thousands, of years before Christ was born. We have two minutes left, uh, Ron, so uh, uh, just a few closing thoughts from you on this topic.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting that uh, some of these scholars among the atheists try to argue that uh, these prophecies were actually made up after the fact. Uh, Have you ever heard that one? Yes, I have. Uh, you know, a lot of times they'll say that Isaiah and Daniel and you know some of these uh, they actually lived after the prophecies took place. Well, when you look at the historical evidence, that becomes absolutely nonsensical. The fact is is that Isaiah was writing like 700 years prior to the time of Christ. Uh, the same thing is true of Daniel. Now, some scholars, some liberal scholars, will date Daniel as as near to the uh, incarnation as maybe two to 300 years before Christ but even if you go with two to three hundred years the fact that the prophets could prophesy two to three hundred years in advance is still impossible for human beings only God can tell the future as God said in Isaiah 45 who foretold this long ago who declared it from the distant past was it not I the Lord and there is no God apart from me yeah this is a powerful evidence Kay not just for the Bible but for the existence of God himself.
0: You bet, you bet. Well, again, my guest has been Dr. Ron Rhodes. He is the author of Answering the Objections of Atheist, Agnostics, and Skeptics. There's so much more we needed to share. I think I'm going to have to uh, set up another program with you, Dr. Rhodes. But uh, we're glad you have been listening. If you want to learn more about Family Shield, go to www.familyshieldministries.com. And uh, also, as I mentioned earlier, uh, we do have this program on our archive page. So uh, give us a call or email us and we'll get that to you. Thank you so much. God bless your day.